Welcome to Leading the Evolution with Tanya Kunze. It's all about how successful people stay successful, no matter what life throws at them, how they balance business, personal and interpersonal, while staying positive and focused. Each episode formulates a story about how champions of industry have adapted, psychologically, physically and emotionally throughout their lives, and specifically to the new normal in 2020. Tanya is a neuroscience coach, author and global keynote speaker. And in each episode, she investigates and digs into the skill set and methodologies her guests have applied successfully to be agile in business, medicine and entrepreneurialism for you to practically adopt to your life. Welcome back to Leading the Evolution. I'm Tanya Kunza. In our last episode, we spoke to Kevin Hinton, and he inspired us with how he transformed the largest financial services event in South Africa by successfully taking it online literally overnight. Today, we are very fortunate to have a fellow sales coach and best-selling author of not only one, but two books. Welcome, Naraj Kapoor. Tanya, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here. We met in London, Naraj, at the Sales Enablement Soiree uh, when I was one of the panelists just about a year ago. And I remember post being on the panel, having an intriguing conversation with you. You've got a wealth of knowledge. And the start, to start today, I would love it if you share with us and with our listeners a little bit about your journey in sales. Well, I grew up in a small town in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, most people don't realize that because I'm an Indian man with no hair, so they think I'm a doctor or an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so obviously I had hair when I was younger, I had beautiful hair, which I, I miss every day, and a six-pack, which I also miss every day. <laughs> and growing up in a small town, there was no internet. There was four TV channels, uh, while Northern Ireland, it's a beautiful country now, it went through a lot of, you know, political and, and racial problems in the 70s and 80s, much like South Africa, I guess, yeah. did in its past as well. Mm. And I, I really struggled to fit in. I, I always considered myself Irish, but everybody thought I was Indian, and that, that used to frustrate me. Wow. And I, I guess the only way to escape back then was movies or music. Those mm. were the two escapisms. And for me, you know, you're a teenager, all you care about is being popular and being liked and having a girlfriend and having money. That's all I really cared about at the time. I, I really had no awareness of the world. So I recorded lots of demo tapes. Um, I wanted to be a rock star in 1990, which was the worst possible time to be a rock star, of <laughs> course, because grunge was coming along to destroy it all. Yeah. And I recorded demo tapes. I left my small town in Northern Ireland, came to London, went to CBS and Epic Records and EMI, all the big companies, yeah. convinced I'd be a rock star. And to my shock and horror, they all said no. And I was too embarrassed to go back home. So I spent the next two years living on, well, in America, they call it welfare, but I guess unemployment. Okay. And I lived with unemployed people for two years. I, I guess ashamed of myself that I failed so horribly. <laughs> and I just cut myself off from the world. I was a completely different person back then. And then one day there was a knock on the door. And nobody in London and the council estate ever speaks to you <laughs> or knocks on your door. Um, and it was my father, and he flew over from Belfast. Mm, and he said, look, you've got to stop this nonsense. You have to get yourself out there. You know, you failed. I'm sorry you failed. I know you're hurting, mm. but sitting at home feeling sorry for yourself won't achieve anything. And I applied for lots, lots of jobs, but nobody would hire me because I had no experience. So I went for the only job, only company that would hire me 
with no degree, no qualifications, and no skills. And that was working in sales. <laughs> oh, amazing. Sales always comes to the rescue. Wow. Okay, sure. Amazing. And you know what I'm loving about your story is, first of all, thank you for sharing it so openly. And it's, it's so humble and it's so real. And I think people who have failed have actually sometimes got the biggest benefit because they've realized that they've survived right at the bottom, you know, when it was shameful for you in your mind and, and you're worried about judgment and you actually, you look how wicked where you are today. I mean, it's just amazing and huge respect to you, Narash, huge respect. Oh, thanks so much, Tanya. I think the older you get, the easier it is to deal with failure. It still hurts. But it's easier. So, for example, we had COVID-19 this year mm. and I lost about 90% of my business, which was speaking at events yeah. and doing corporate training in London. Yeah. Now, for a lot of people, that was an absolute horseshit. And for a lot of young people, it was the first time they'd experienced anything like this. But because I've had a, quite a lot of failure in my life, I just dealt with it so well. Oh, and amazing. I pivoted within five weeks. I turned my business around. It was hard work, but I did it. And I'm very happy because I'm still, I'm not training in London, I'm not speaking events, which I love to do, yes. but I'm still coaching people, helping people. I'm working a lot for free for charities, but I'm still doing my mission and raising my standards of sales with everybody else. And that's so important. Absolutely. I want you to tell us a little bit about how you managed to pull yourself out of that, because I think these are pearls of wisdom that people need right now. And, you know, and I, I had a chat with a couple of doctor friends of mine who don't have a clue how to sell themselves and quite frankly are quite precluded from selling themselves from all the laws and boundaries that surround them. And um, I want you to share some of the, maybe the top three things that you used because you're a coach to get your head in the game so that you could move forward and turn your business around. I mean, to turn your business around in such a short time, that's incredible. How did you do it? Oh, thank you. Well, there's a couple of things I recommend, and these are proven techniques which work not just with me, but my clients. And the first thing is you have to have a vision board. Yeah. So above my computer, on my phone, on my fridge, <laughs> you, you, I have a vision board. And a vision board, a lot of people think are just things you want in life, like a fancy house and a fancy car. And that's okay if you want it, but it has to be deeper than that. So on my vision board are pictures of my daughter. Mm -hmm. Not when she's a teenager because she's a nightmare, but <laughs> when she was young, cute, you know, and adorable, and used to hug me. Um, I got pictures of my parents. I got pictures of my sister, my brother, my best friends. So the people in life that I love. I then on my vision board have letters from charities saying thank you, Neeraj, for fundraising for us. Some of them are cancer charities, uh, some are mental health charities, but the people I've given uh, my money and my time to because I want to make a positive difference in this world. Um, I have a lot of uh, ticket stubs from rock concerts I've been to, oh, uh, like you know Bon Jovi, ACDC, Whitesnake, Aerosmith, all the music that I love, Bruce Springsteen, because that makes me happy. Um, I have a few affirmations on my board um, of habits, like don't hold a grudge, which I sometimes do, <laughs> I shouldn't do it. Um, every day, be grateful for what you have. Uh, the more people I help, the more charities benefit around the world. So I have these little sayings the, on, on my wall. So having a vision board is so important because it means that on days when you don't want to work, especially, or when you have rejection, all of a sudden you have something that can lift you up, Tanya. And mm -hmm. a vision board is so powerful. And one of the first things I do when I coach people is I ask them their why. And I ask them about their vision boards. And I'm surprised mm -hmm. most of them don't have one. But once they create one, it just takes them to another level. 
Absolutely. Do you know what's amazing with what you've done? And I'm loving your story. You know I'm loving this interview. You are giving so much value to the people who are listening to this. I've just started studying cognizant neuroscience robotics, and it's fascinating how the human brain learns similarly to the robot, purely because obviously we design the robot, so it makes common sense. And cognizance neuroscience is um, obviously it's, it's leading the whole psychology aspect into the neurons of the brain and how all of them have a cohesion. And what you do with your board and what you've described is you taking yourself into the consciousness I can part of the brain into your neocortex and your prefrontal cortex and your interior cingulate. And what you're doing there is you are sparking the, the, the right brain capability of creation and making it possible, alleviating all those fight, flight, or freeze hormones every time you look at those visual stimuli. And the probability is that you, from a, a representational perspective, that you are a visual. So when you see these things, immediately it translates into the higher thinking aspects of your brain where you're finding the way through. I'm loving it. I think it's amazing. Science can explain why it works. So for listeners out there, using a vision board is most certainly a major stimulant to the brain to help you get into the positive thinking aspects. You also mentioned going into the why. Should we dig a little bit into that with you? Why do people need to understand why they're doing it? Um, it's very important to have a why in life because a why just takes you that bit further. Mm. So, you know, um, when you have a strong why, it just means in sales, for example, which is a job where you experience a lot of rejection, it's very easy to, after a couple of rejections, to get frustrated. Mm. After half a day of rejections, it's very easy to get angry. It's very easy to say, oh, this my job would be so much better if it wasn't for customers. You know, <laughs> all the usual excuses we hear. Uh, but the fact is, a lot of the time, you have to take responsibility for yourself and you have to really have a, a certain fire and a certain persistence. Mm -hmm. uh, same time, Tanya, it's hard to have that when you're getting rejected all the time. Sure. So having a strong why means you're likely to power forward more. So let me give you a good example. When I lost all my business um, when COVID-19 hit earlier this year, mm. it was quite a shock to the system. Yeah. But the reason I got back on my feet is I thought, okay, my daughter has just flown out to Australia. She's thousands of miles away at university. I'm going to pay for her fees, yeah. <laughs> which is a big why. Yeah. Uh, my parents are retired. I love them both. I want to take care of them. Um, you know, quite a few of my friends have sadly lost jobs. So I really want to make sure they get back on their feet again mm. and find work, as many of them have families to support or bills to pay. So because my why is so strong, I rarely sit around feeling sorry for myself. Oh, I'm very God. proactive and I get so much done. That's why having a why is important. 100%. And the beautiful thing is you haven't gone into the victim mindset. Now, the first scenario you described when you were much younger, you went into that why me victim mindset. And I read something that it said, why not me? We only grow through times of adversity. This is where the champions have a chance to shine. And I interviewed the um, human resources director from BMW South Africa uh, two days ago. And she was saying to me that the cream of the crop are rising to the top, the people that have got this why, the vision board, the drive. And you've seen on my social media, because obviously since the event we've been following each other, um, I've got two sons and I've always said my boys are my reason. I get up in the morning to make sure I give them the best life because my why is when they say, mommy, can I have? I never <laughs> want to say no. 
I want to go, sure, my love, your mom's a legend. <laughs> I can get you anything you need. And that drives me, you know, and, and very much like you, I had a very client-facing business and I was booked for, th- for several months with 25 to 30 people a day. And obviously like dominoes, one after the next, they had to cancel. And in the same way, I've had to go online, coach online, figure out Zoom, work it all out. And, you know, we survivors, we thrivers, and we make this happen, which is great. So tell me your books. You've written two books, and I'd love to know more about them. And I believe they're bestsellers. Yeah, that's correct. So the first book was called Everybody Works in Sales, uh, because everybody does work in sales. And at the time, before I wrote it, I, I'd been traveling around the world for five years uh, with Informa, running shipping events, shipping conferences, shipping magazines and websites. And no, it was quite interesting as people in South Korea, they sell completely differently to people in the Middle East who sell completely differently to people in Japan, who sell differently to people in America. Oh. And no matter, and first of all, traveling around the world and selling, you learn so much about people. It's actually a wonderful experience. It really opened my mind. Mm-hmm. But I also realized most people still can't sell, not just in England, <laughs> but everywhere you go. Yeah. Most people are terrible at selling. They rush into discounting. They sell their own product. They ask very few questions. And I thought, you know, I have all this knowledge. At this stage, I had 23 years experience. And I had a look at the, the people out there writing great books, the people we know about, the Jeb Blunts, the Anthony Anarinos, the Jeffrey Gittimers, the Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, there's no way I can write a book better than them, <laughs> no matter how hard I try. But I also know storytelling is one of the most underused skills in sales. And people remember stories 10 times more than facts. Yeah. So I decided to write my life story of coming to London, struggling with unemployment, struggling with failure, getting a job, you know, having an arranged marriage to a woman I knew for 20 minutes because I was so lonely, you know, becoming a father, achieving amazing success, and then losing some of it and then getting back my feet again. And because it's storytelling and because it's a roller coaster journey and because there's a lot of vulnerability, yeah, uh, people really connected with my first book so much. I got very lucky. It just kept selling and selling and selling, and I spent twenty-one weeks in the Amazon top one hundred in the oh, UK. And I'm so excited! It booked. It was, that's unheard of, you know. Wow, that's amazing. No, thank you so much. And with the second book, um, I, I just realised that almost every single person who hires me is a business owner. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of salespeople don't quite have the awareness or the belief that they should invest in coaching. One or two of them do, but most often don't. They just don't think like that. But business owners do and entrepreneurs do because they want to better themselves. Mm. And so the people who pay my checks are all entrepreneurs and business owners. So my second book was called The Easy Guide to Sales for Business Owners Mm. because business owners are so busy. They haven't got time to, to read for one hour a day. They just don't. They're running a business. They're taking care of staff. They're doing so many things. So I wrote The Easy Guide to Sales for Business Owners for business owners everywhere. But it's not 200 or 300 pages. It's just 120 pages. So if you go into a meeting, here's a checklist. If you're about to go on LinkedIn and do a post, here's a checklist. It's almost like a reference guide. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to create a very helpful guide to help business owners, but at the same time, write a book that was completely different to my first book. 
I love it. I absolutely love it. I think we share so much synchronicity. It's obviously why we connected in London psychologically because mm, we definitely. speak the same language. Um, the one thing I completely concur with is that everybody can sell. And, you know, I'm sure you remember me talking about the 48 different types of sales profiles where we go into organizations and we assess what profiles are prevalent. And the most fascinating thing is I've done so many now, I've actually lost count. It's in the thousands. And I find companies tend to recruit the same type of person over and over again. Mm, You end up with this uh, group of people where there's a a vast gaping hole of where you need, let's say, for example, a closer or a um, high dominant or a high influence, or you've got too many people in system structure and compliance. And you know, when you, you look at the dynamic, you can easily, easily figure out where you need to take the company to. And um, my findings, and I'd love you to share yours within corporate, is when they embark on a sales coaching journey with their teams, their financial bottom line always goes up. Do you have the same experience? Yeah, a lot of people, unfortunately, when it comes to coaching in corporate companies, they invite me in and they say, look, we just want you to help us close more deals. And when I spend time with the team, I listen to their phone calls or I join them in phone calls. I realize winning deals isn't the problem. The problem is they're not engaging at the beginning. They're not following process. Uh, Most salespeople do not follow up properly at all. So there's a massive part of the sales process people are missing. Mm. Closing the business isn't that difficult as Mm. people think it is. But actually following process, asking great questions, listening clearly, Mm. doing follow-up, which most salespeople have no idea how to follow up. Mm. Um, All these things really do matter. And most businesses just don't get that. They just want to make more money, make more money, make more money. And that's the first challenge. The second challenge is quite often I go in and train companies. And the good thing is I keep them accountable, which most sales coaches don't. They just go in, train, go home. But I actually keep people accountable to make sure they learn stuff. Mm. But quite often the boss will come in and say, okay, there's a 50,000 pound hole in the business. You've got to fill it, get in that phone. And they're expected to make anywhere from, you know, 30 to 60 phone calls a day. Now, when that happens, you cannot build relationships at the same time. No. And so the needs of the business often outweigh the skills the person has to learn because businesses have profit targets they have to hit. Absolutely. And you know what I find quite fascinating? I had a, a story to sort of collaborate with you're saying. I went into organization and this guy had a team of people and their mandate was to make 100 phone calls a day. And of course, hello. I mean, like you say, you can't make relationships. And the focus was definitively on, I need to make 100 phone calls a day and then I get to keep my job, right? So the focus wasn't on making sales. So I went in there and I listened to all of them and you know, some of them had a bit of talent and skill and they were putting a lot of energy out there. And I realized, hold on a second, I have to shift their focus. So I took the entire team and I said, right, guys, from today, I don't care how many calls you make. I want five appointments. That's all I want. And you can go home. We got five appointments from every (laughs) single person because I changed their focus. It was one simple tweak. And, you know, just shifting the way they think And that's why the psychology of sales is so critical and so important because, you know, if you're following this, you know, 10 things equals one outcome, law of probability, yeah, it's a thumbsuck. It's not real. It's not science. There is science and there is psychology and there is mathematics in sales. And they've never been taught that, which leads me to the next thing I wanted to discuss with you. So I've just launched 
my very first uh, NQF. In South Africa, we have something called an NQF, which is our, our education system. Level five means first year out of your, your um, mandatory schooling system. And it's a two-year national diploma in sales, but it's only sales. And I'm getting a huge rush on it because people are blown away that they can actually get a diploma in sales. In mm. the rest of the world, where have you come across um, sales diplomas, sales degrees, doctorates? Have you ever seen it? Well, first of all, congratulations. That's really inspiring, Tanya. Thank you for that. Um, I'm so glad you're doing that. I haven't. I, I see a lot of people offer certificates if they pay extortionate amounts of money for somebody's course. But, but I haven't seen any sales diplomas or sales degrees okay. at all. I do see the Institute of Sales Management. They yes. offer, again, certificates and they congratulate people, but it doesn't mean anything. The things I've seen in England don't mean anything because it's just theory. Yeah. And it really has to, and the people teaching it aren't necessarily the best examples. It's, it's not what you teach. It's how you teach people. Yes. That's really important. And I see a lot of people teaching sales, especially sales trainers, and they haven't sold for five years or six years. And there's a lot of sales trainers who just teach research they find yes. online, which, again, isn't important. Yes. What's important is real-life experience. And because I go on meetings with my clients, because I listen to their conference calls and get stuck into the conference calls as a consultant with my clients, I'm constantly involved in the sales process. Absolutely. Plus, of course, I have my own business. So I have to prospect every day, just for half an hour a day, whether I like it or not, because that is the lifeblood of my new business. I get loads of referrals, which I'm so grateful for. And I get inquiries through LinkedIn, which I'm very grateful for. And my newsletter and my speaking slots, it's, it's all very important, but you still have to prospect because your existing clients will not be there forever, no matter how good you are. Absolutely. And I think you and I, I mean, we really are two peas in a pod because the, the like-mindedness <laughs> is actually quite inspiring. And, you know, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, the, the owners of the businesses going, well, you know, go out there and get the business, just close the deal, close the deal. We want numbers, you know, we are the numbers and pressure, pressure, pressure. And the fascinating thing is what they don't realize is the people haven't been taught formally the steps required to get to a close. And obviously those steps will differ industry to industry, person to person. But there, there's an underpinning formula that will thread throughout any business. And it'll obviously change when it comes to um, whether it's a a virtual product or, an, or whether it's a tangible product or, you know, if you're selling a service or you're selling a product and a lot of dynamics will be different, but there's an underpinning rule of thumb that's going to flow through that sales process. And they, they don't teach the people. So I often say, you know, if you went to a medical doctor and you went, you know, hi, I need you to remove my appendix right now. I know you haven't studied medicine. You've never operated on anyone before, but come on, just do it quickly. And the person goes, well, I don't know how. And the thing is, salespeople never, ever risk it. They'll never go, well, I don't really know how because they'll get fired. So they just do whatever they can and they try and then they miss all the ticking of the boxes on the, en route that need to happen. What has your experience been with, with regards to that? Yeah, the training offered to salespeople because I get, I get so many people saying to me, Nerad, salespeople are so bad. They're just terrible people. Mm -hmm. And I will say, actually, you know what? That's not fair. They're not bad people. They're badly trained. I don't believe people in general are bad. I, I try to, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person, and I believe that 80% of people you meet are pretty decent people. 
20% are just genuine arseholes. <laughs> you have to avoid them. But most people are pretty decent. And salespeople are bad. They're badly trained. And the big problems you have in companies, whether they're small companies or large ones, is the bosses are super busy. Uh, they're busy trying to hit their targets and do so many things and hire staff and run things. They don't train staff properly. Yeah. And they often say, just watch a few YouTube videos or here's a script from about five years ago. Just read that. And that's not how you train people. That's mm. the first problem you have. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is, is bad management. So a lot of really talented salespeople become sales managers because they want to pay a rise. Yes. And they want their ego boosted. Yes. But a great salesperson doesn't make a great sales manager. Oh, you you know, the that. first year I was a manager, I was terrible because mm. I had no idea how to do it. Mm. Once I started going to management courses, once I started getting a coach myself, all of a sudden I became a great manager and my staff started doing very well. They started getting results and hitting targets. Mm. Before then, I was like, guys, just do what I do. It's not difficult. It's not really... <laughs> I would lose my temper a lot. I, I just, I was a terrible manager because I wasn't trained. Excellent. And most managers are given jobs because it's convenient, because the company doesn't want to pay a recruitment consultant, or just to make sure that because they were a good salesperson, they get what they want. And that's not always the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly amazed how many companies make so many bad decisions in the management process yeah. just because it's easy to do. Absolutely. And they don't, they don't necessarily understand what's going on in the mind of a salesperson. And you and I have both, you know, walked the talk completely. And, you know, the fascinating thing for me is I'm also that person. I don't actually, I mean, I, I'm actually a good sales manager now because of what I've learned and what I know. But like you back in the day, I don't think I was a great sales manager at all. And, you know, you grow and learn and through the coaching and the training and the interventions. And now I can manage a sales team with ease, as I'm sure you can, because we now know what we're doing. But we had to teach ourselves. We had to go and figure it out. And we had to go dig deep. And when I studied my coaching, I actually did my, my, th my thesis on, uh, on sales because it was fascinating to me how I could go into a company and suddenly be the top salesperson. What was I doing differently? And the, I figured out there was a theorem and that's the theorem that I then packaged into a course and started teaching. And repetitively now it's taking companies from good to great to that next level. And, um, you know, now in this, in this difficult time, keeping salespeople positive, keeping them focused, keeping them out of the, the panic, what are you implementing from a coaching perspective just to keep their mindsets right? And maybe you can leave a few things for our listeners. In order to keep your mindset right, um, a couple of things. First of all, it's the vision board. That's really, really important. Um, second of all, is to surround yourself with good people. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people, there's a famous saying by Jim Rowan, you become the average of the five people you spend your time with. <laughs> and, you know, I look at my friends now compared to 10 years ago from a work perspective, they're very different. 10 years ago, it was full of people who whined, complained, and blamed everybody for their problems. Yep. Now I hang out with the Steve Burtons, the Daniel Disneys, the Daryl Prales, the Chris Murrays, the Alison Edgars of the world, mm. people who are so aspirational and so positive and wonderful to be around. I love them so all. Oh, they are. They're just amazing. I mean, you surround yourself with good people. You naturally become more positive. Um, and again, through personal development, I just know, you know, there's no saying no optimist ever reached the moon. <laughs> and it's so true. No optimist ever built the internet. Um, you know, and it's true. And if you have a positive attitude, you will achieve so much. You, you cannot believe how much you can achieve. Yeah. Um, and the third thing is, of course, do for others. You know, charity work, um, 
is a big part of my life. Mm. My father received an MBE from Prince Charles of Buckingham Palace. Um, and the first, I started posting quite a lot on LinkedIn two years ago. In the first three months, I wasn't really getting anywhere. And then I did a post about my father, saying what a great man he was, how he turned his life around, and how he dedicates himself. He's a full-time philanthropist now with my mother. And there's a picture of him with, with Prince Charles of Buckingham Palace. And it's a beautiful picture um, and a very proud moment of him and also our family. Wow. And he's always says to me, look, you know, if you're unsure about what to do in life, just give to people. Just help mm. other people out. Mm. Uh, it can be in a charity level of financial giving mm-hmm. or it can be in a work environment of just giving your time to helping people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Just give as much as you can and you'll achieve so much happiness in life. And a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people think it's every person for themselves. It's not. The more you help people, the happier you are in life, but also the more you achieve in life, not just financially, but emotionally as well, Tanya. Mm, Absolutely. Well, if you look at it from a cognizant neuroscience perspective, I want to actually empower what you're saying is that we, like nature, have this whole give and receive dynamic. And, you know, if you think about nature as a rule, there's this constant flow of give and receive. When people start, feeling lack and they start holding back, they block that flow of energy, that flow of give and receive. And they go into that mode of now needing to hibernate. And when you hibernate, you're not generating energy anymore. You're not actually in that space of flow. And you go into your fight, flight or free centers of the brain because you, you in fear and you're pulling back. So what that does is it creates something called inattentional blindness where you actually stop seeing the opportunities around you. You start um, sending out hormones into your body like cortisol, which are like having blinkers on. And out of the blue, you actually stop interacting with the world because it's about me, myself, and I as an island. And you can't live like that. And that's what's happened with this whole COVID is that people have gone insular. There's, mm-hmm. Even if you think about communication, people are scared to touch each other. They're scared to be around it or they're precluded from and they'll see each other and they'll go, well, how do I greet you now? And they stand like statues and it's an awkward moment. If they're wearing masks, eye contact is not enough. We've lost all our facial cues. We've lost all our physical cues. Communication and holding back and becoming insular is a huge aspect that is impacting salespeople because they're about connecting with other people. That's what they do in whichever capacity and we need to teach the next step in our coaching globally is to teach people how to navigate around the barriers of COVID. I love that. That's so, so important because most salespeople who call call me, I don't get as many call calls as I should do, but I get enough of them. Um, Certainly I get far too many emails and LinkedIn messages, but when somebody calls me, I always give them 30 seconds because I know how hard it is to pick up the phone and call somebody you don't know. And after 30 seconds, I stop them and say, okay, tell me about my business. <laughs> and I'm surprised and stunned how many just can't do that. And I said to them, okay, if you don't know me or my business, why would I speak to you for? Exactly. And usually they hang up, which I find frustrating, or they sometimes go, yeah, that's a good point. I said, okay, so for the future, next time you speak to somebody, please spend five or 10 minutes on their website go on LinkedIn, see the articles have done, try and find something in common with that person, okay? Because people buy from people they like and trust. We don't have to love you, but we have to at least like you and think you're acting in our best interest. And I say that to so many people, and so few of them actually take it on board. They go back into auto drive because people are scared. People are terrified of change. Mm. And a lot of people would rather do the same thing over and over again, Tanya, 
Absolutely. to actually change and make an improvement. Well, they're going to need to realize that that the world actually has changed. And and I, I mean, I, I agree with you 2,000% on everything you've said today. In fact, I've loved this, this interview immensely because there's such solid like-mindedness. And, you. you know, I think what we need to look at is, you know, there is a new normal and life hasn't stopped. And no, you can't go and hibernate in your house for the rest of your life because you are going to have to get out there and start living. And people don't understand how. And it's, it's the same dynamic back in the day when the guy had his, his wonderful buggy whip company and he used to sell buggy whips to all the, the guys that had their horses and, and that was life and there were no cars. And then suddenly the automotive came into being and the guy brazenly said, oh, most automotives will never take off. I'm going to have the best buggy whip co- company mm. in the world. And of course, he went under. So it's do or die right now. It's adapt. And I think hand-holding in the sales space is something that we need to look at as to how to guide companies to adapt as, as, as nimbly as apparently you and I have. We've gone out there and said, right, let's do this. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? And the worst thing happened is I sit still. So get up and make a plan and make it happen and bring the energy. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really f- hearing that from you. And um, just we get running out of time now because this conversation has been great. It's, it's flown past. I'd love you to just share with us, you know, the next steps now, which you, what you would believe would be like the top three things that you would want to leave with people for them to take out of this podcast that's that's validated for them that they listen to it that you want to give them now that they can apply in their lives yes absolutely so what i want to suggest to you from this podcast not just things i've read online the things i practice daily mm-hmm. but more important my clients do this as well and it gets them results uh, and progress that's very important so the first is have a vision board right. not just the materialistic needs you have in life but also your emotional needs as well have it in front of your computer, your phone, your fridge, look at it 10, 20 times a day. That vision board and your why will always help you go further. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is we've talked a lot about learning and growing. And, and the fact is the more you learn, the more you earn. And if you want to work, succeed in sales or any profession, you have to spend time studying it. You know, my brother's a tennis coach. He spent years becoming a tennis coach. My mother's a physiotherapist. She spent years becoming a physio. Mm. Most salespeople spend half a day to one day, <laughs> and that's it. So you've got to consistently learn. I'm yep. still, in my 25th year in sales, I spend half an hour every morning reading about sales. And then the evening when I go for a walk again, I'll usually listen to a sales podcast or at least a business podcast. So one hour a day. I am constantly learning. And when I drive to see clients, it's two to three hours a day of learning. And I'm doing coaching on top of that. So the more you learn, the more you earn. And the third thing is ask great questions. So whenever I'm with customers, I think they're often surprised how little I talk. I spend a lot of time asking questions. Not questions like who's your competition. Don't ask silly questions like that. But, you know, where do you want your business to be six months from now? Yes. Okay. What are the biggest challenges you're facing and how are we going to overcome them together? You know, I ask questions that really get the clients thinking because mm-hmm. ultimately the more the clients talk and the less you talk in a conversation, the better that conversation is going to go. So those are the three things, okay. vision board, learning and asking great questions, especially forward thinking questions. 
every single thing you've said, I can align beautifully back to neuroscience. We went out of time and it's fantastic what you're doing. So I think I must chat to you offline and, and we must talk about how, you, yes, you're 100% on point. I love the three that you've left. People, if you apply these three things, your life will shift and change. And Roger's 100% on point. So a very, very special thank you to our listeners for taking the time to be with us today and so much to Naraj for joining us and for sharing his fascinating, on point and incredible insights with us. Till next time, bye-bye.